0: Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12, this is God's word. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task God has given to the sons of man, by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this was also vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine, while guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, that I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I, planted my, I made myself gardens and orchards and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and all the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers and the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labour, and this was my reward from all my labour. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labour in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceived, I myself perceived, that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Since all that is now will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Therefore, I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labour in which I had toiled under the sun. Because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over my labour in which I toiled. And in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart And despaired of all the labour in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labour is with wisdom, knowledge and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not laboured for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all his labour and for the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful. And his work burdensome, even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labour. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. Let's pray and ask for God's help to understand it. Our gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We thank you for this passage. This passage, which on the face of it is depressing. This passage, which is perhaps difficult to understand. We pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would illuminate our minds so that we would see the light in the darkness of this passage, so that we would see Jesus today. Might our hearts be drawn to him in all that we hear. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I'm finding wonderful about getting older is I'm becoming more and more like my father. I don't know if any of you have experienced that but there are times whenever I open my mouth to speak to our boys and I hear my father's words coming out of my mouth. I don't quite know how that happens, but there it is. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. One of the things that my dad regularly said to us growing up was this, Do what I say, not what I do. Do what I say, not what I do. The idea was we couldn't always rely on him to give us the best example, but we should trust his words. Dad was basically saying, I've been there. I've done that. That thing that you're about to do, Jamie, that's a mistake. I know it's a mistake because I've made that mistake. Do what I say, not what I do. Don't make the same mistakes as me. Well, as we move into this passage from Ecclesiastes today, the writer of this book wants to say something similar to us. He wants you to know that if you think you have found the secret to happiness, if you think you've found the secret to the good life in anything under the sun, he's been there. He's done that. He's tried it all. He's gone through all the excesses of life. And, well, he didn't find happiness in them. He's saying to you, I've done all this so that you don't have to. Listen to my words. I've made all the mistakes. You don't have to make these mistakes. Learn from my experience instead of wasting your time. Don't try and fail to, try and to, to find true and lasting happiness under the sun. A couple of weeks ago, we, we opened this book with the, the, the first chapter, and we saw that, that on a global scale, the world teaches us something. The world goes round and round in orbit. The, the sun rises, the sun sets, and yet nothing is ever accomplished. The world teaches us that life, meaning, satisfaction, joy, well, trying to find those things is fruitless. Don't go looking for it under the sun. Don't look for happiness in the things the world can offer because you're not going to find meaning there. It's vanity. It's meaningless. It's fleeting. It's repetitive. It's futile. And, and I know this because I've spoke to many of you since that sermon, that the opening passage of this book left you feeling a little down. It left you feeling a little bit uncomfortable. In many ways, it was like a slap across the face because it wasn't really a pleasant experience. If that's what it did for you, then I'm actually quite glad because that's what the opening passage of Ecclesiastes is meant to do. And if my sermon did that, then I'm being faithful to the text. So far, so good then. We've been woken up to the fact that life under the sun is meaningless. The world goes round and round in its orbit and nothing is ever accomplished. And So we move to this second passage and what we learn here is that this doesn't only happen on the global stage, on, on, in the cosmic order of things, it also happens at a human level, at the personal level. We have here life lessons from the preacher. The author of this book introduces himself to us here, I the preacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And so in English translations he's referred to as either the teacher or the preacher. In chapter 1, verse 1, we're told he's the son of David. And so most people assume Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. He doesn't call himself Solomon in this book, so I'm going to refer to him as preacher or teacher. And the sense of that Hebrew word is of a person not just writing down various sayings. It's, It's somebody giving a speech. Somebody giving an important speech to a group of people, even the name of the book, Ecclesiastes, doesn't that tell us something? It it implies it was delivered to a church, an ecclesiastical gathering. So this is a sermon. The preacher wants to share his wisdom. He wants to share his life lessons. And his wisdom at the beginning of the book is for us to realise... That our lives will end someday. We need to understand that we're not long for this world. And that while we are here for now, we're actually only passing through. We're destined to spend eternity somewhere else. Christians have always had a strong sense of this. Christians have always had a strong sense that this world is not our home. We are pilgrims passing through. Think about maybe Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Think about some of the hymns that we sing about crossing the Jordan to the promised land on the other side, about eventide falling upon our lives. And we'll sing at the end of our service about the trumpet of the Lord sounding and time being no more. But I wonder are these just songs that we sing? Or do we actually understand and believe their words? You see, the Christian life is a bit like a holiday. You know what it's like to be on holiday, don't you? You enjoy the sea, the sand, the sun. Maybe some of you are thinking, I'd rather be there today. You make the most of the treats. You make the most of the good food. But ultimately, you know that it's going to end. The holiday will be over someday. And you have to leave. And go back to normality. One day it will all be over. You can't keep that holiday feeling forever. And so you enjoy it. Because you know that one day it will end. Well, the Christian life is like that. The Christian life is like a holiday. We are strangers passing through this world. This world won't last forever. But... Rather than knowing that one day we will leave it and return to something that's ultimately worse and less enjoyable, we know that one day, as Christians, we will leave and go on to something far better. The preacher says, before you get there, you have to realise this world will not last forever. And so any enjoyment and any fulfilment you get in this world will not last Forever. Because we sing the songs. And we read in our Bibles about heaven. And we read that those who trust in Jesus are headed for heaven. But we don't always live that way, do we? In many ways, we, we live as if this world is all there is. We live as if money and sex and power and family and friendships... That these are the things that will give us lasting satisfaction and meaning and joy. We assume that happiness is in the box with the newest iPhone. That it's in the envelope with the next paycheck. That happiness is in those exam results we're waiting for. That happiness is just sitting there in the passenger seat of a new car. Or it's in the kitchen sink of a new home. And the preacher of Ecclesiastes is going to throw cold water on all of that. He wants to say to you today, I've tried all those things. I've been there, I've done that, and ultimately none of them have left me with happiness. Learn from my mistakes. Do what I say, not what I do. Can I encourage you to have your Bibles open as we work through this section of God's Word? As I've said, it's kind of like an autobiography from the preacher. He's on a quest and he wants to tell us about his journey to find the deep meaning of life. What's the best life that you can have? What's the route to true and lasting happiness? Where is happiness found? And that sounds good, doesn't it? Something we want to hear We're all motivated by happiness in one way or another. I wonder how you chose your breakfast this morning. Did you take the sweetest, chocolatiest cereal? Maybe you took the most bland, most fibrous option. Either way, it's really a pursuit for happiness, isn't it? To be satisfied in the moment with the sweetness or to feel good about yourself because you're eating healthy. Happiness is a desire that all of us have for ourselves and for our loved ones. So here in Ecclesiastes, what we get to do is is we get to listen in on the preacher's quest for happiness. This man who has seemingly endless resources, he's going to tell us the secret to happiness. So listen in. He begins by telling us about his education. He heads for the university. He studies all the books and learning he can get his hands on. He fills his head with knowledge so that he is more wise than anyone else in all Jerusalem. He visits the libraries. He goes to the lectures. He even studies the pursuit of knowledge, trying to understand the difference between being wise and being foolish. And he gets to the top of the tree. He makes it. he, He reaches the top of the tree of human wisdom, And he says, I didn't find happiness there. In fact, it seems the more you know, the less happy you are. For in much wisdom is much grief, says chapter 1, verse 15. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Ignorance really is bliss. This is hard for somebody like me to hear. I've devoted the best part of my adult life to education, both to getting one myself and to providing one for others. I have two university degrees. I have shelves full of books. I spend a good portion of my week reading. But the preacher says, Jamie, I've been there. I've done that. You can read all you want, it's not going to make you happy. Not ultimately. Well, what about partying then? What about hitting the comedy clubs and the wine bars of Jerusalem? Surely there's happiness to be found there. No, again, he comes up wanting. Happiness does not lie in laughter. It doesn't lie at the bottom of a bottle. What about building something? Is that where happiness is to be found? Many of you have built your own houses. Many of you know the pleasure of planting a garden or farming the land. I'm sorry to tell you today, but nothing that I've seen around Gerald's Pass compares to the wonders that we read about in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Look at what this preacher built. Houses, gardens, pools, vineyards, orchards. He had more herds and flocks than anyone in the kingdom before him. He had male and female servants coming out of his ears. You can forget Downton Abbey. This is a grand design of massive proportions. And as you might imagine, with all the wealth and possessions comes the power and the sex. This man gains the world in many respects. Everything's sitting at his feet. You know, there... There is an idea out there, especially I think among young men, that this is the definition of happiness and success. That happiness is measured in the number of cars you have or how expensive your watch is. That happiness is sitting in a hot tub surrounded by beautiful women overlooking your vast property from the balcony of your mansion in the south of France. Your personal yacht. Floating in the distance on the Mediterranean. Many people think that's happiness. But the preacher wants you to know. He wants you to know he had all of that. He had all of that and more. Chapter 2, verse 10 Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Whatever my eyes desired. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure. But ultimately, verse 10 is followed by verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labour in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity. Grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. He says, I've been there, I've done that, and it's all meaningless. What this man discovers Is what he's already seen in the worldview of chapter 1. It's all vanity under the sun because no matter how much you fill it with wisdom and wealth and pleasure, ultimately it's going to end. It comes to an end. The wise man and the foolish man both end up in a coffin. The wealthiest and the poorest can be laid beside each other in a graveyard. You can have the, the most earthly pleasures and you'll not be able to avoid death any more than anybody else. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. The commentator, David Gibson, calls this a needle that will pop any bubble. Any bubble that you're living in, the needle pops it. I would call it a bucket of cold water. It wakes us up. It wakes us up to the reality of death. The statistics are clear. Out of every 100 people, 100 of them will die. Death comes to us all. That's a bucket of cold water, isn't it? The common response for most people is to ignore death. We live as if it will never happen. Instead of thinking about it, we distract ourselves with amusements, things of this world. It's like papering over a crack in the wall, isn't it? It doesn't take away the problem, but at least we don't have to look at it. I wonder if you've ever thought about this stuff before. I wouldn't be surprised if you hadn't. It's really hard to cope with the truth that our lives will end someday. It's really hard to get through this life without all of those thousands of distractions which take up our thoughts. You can try this if you dare to try it. Try sitting down for 10 minutes with no distractions. Go into a dark, quiet room and just sit there for 10 minutes. You'll actually find it really hard. And if you do manage to do it, you'll be confronted with things that you would rather not think about. Disappointment, (coughs) sadness, sorrow, regret, and ultimately the vanity, the meaninglessness Of life. So, what do we do? Instead, we amuse ourselves. Television, newspapers, smartphones, games, constant connection, 24 hour news. The preacher says, Trust me, none of these things will stop death. None of these things will stop death. Really, as a bucket of cold water. But now he's got your attention. Now he has you hooked. Where is happiness found? What's the hope? Well, now he's going to give us a chink of light, a chink of light that we've been hoping for. I wonder did you notice as we read the passage, there's no mention of God. Between chapter 1, verse 13, and chapter 2, verse 24, God is not mentioned. And then in the last few verses, God is present. In the last three verses, God's name comes up three times. Finally, there's a chink of light. The preacher has taken us as low as it's possible to go. He takes us all the way to death. But now that we're listening, now that we've woken up to reality, he's going to give us some light. Here it is. Verse 24 of chapter 2. Nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink. And that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. Friends, life in this world is a holiday. So enjoy it. Enjoy every bit of it. But enjoy it knowing that it will end. Knowing that all good things shall come to an end. And all the bad things shall come to an end. But nonetheless, enjoy life. Plant the garden. Build the house. Enjoy good food and good wine and good company. All, of, of course, within the bounds of keeping God's law. Please hear that clearly. But do you enjoy life? Again, David Gibson gives us a really, this really cool picture of this. He says that life is like building a sandcastle. You know, if you've ever built a sandcastle on the beach, We're under no illusion, are we, that the tide's going to come in? This time tomorrow, the sandcastle will have washed away. But that doesn't stop us from enjoying building the sandcastle and admiring the sandcastle. Life is a gift from God. It's to be lived. So live it, enjoy it. And this is not the same This is not the same as saying, enjoy it while it lasts. What the preacher is saying here is enjoy it because it's from the hand of God. Enjoy it because God has given it to you as a gift. You see, whenever we put anything other than God at the centre, whenever we put money or power or possessions or wisdom or ourselves. I wonder if you noticed in those verses that God isn't mentioned from 1.13 to 2.24. The preacher kept saying, myself, myself, myself. When we put anything other than Jesus at the centre, it will let us down. But when you're trusting in Jesus, you get to enjoy all the things that Jesus has created as a gift to you. When, when the meal is finished, you can say that was a wonderful meal. Thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful meal. You don't have to be on the quest to have a better meal the next time. What, another meal to satisfy you. You don't need to do that when you have Jesus. Because the really good news of the gospel is is that this life is not all there is. This life will end. And when you turn to Christ in faith and repentance, when you trust in Jesus for everlasting life, we pass through this life like a holiday. But we're not returning to the normality, to the humdrum, to the eat, sleep, work, repeat at no end. No, after this life is over, through Christ, we are headed for something so much better. So much better than this world. So please enjoy it. Enjoy the food and the drink and the television shows and the family game nights and all the pleasures of this world. The cars, the houses, enjoy it. Enjoy it all. But know that something far better lies ahead through Jesus. Something Far, far better. Because while this world does offer all of those pleasures and all of those enjoyments, it comes with disappointments too, doesn't it? This world is filled with things to enjoy, but there are also difficulties and disasters. And we can't fix that. We live in a world that has fallen in sin and we can't sort it out. Chapter 1, verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight. This world is crooked. This world has fallen and you and I can't make it straight. Death is this bucket of cold water that has woken us up. It's woken us up to the reality of life and we should be so thankful for that. Because preparing to die is the way we learn to live. Life is meant to be enjoyed, but it's not meant to be mastered. Another commentator, Philip Reichen, says this: "The divine gifts of creation are meant to be enjoyed as matters of stewardship rather than possession." The truth is, if we're able to look on worldly pleasures that way, that we get to enjoy them, but one day they'll be over, then we can look upon the difficulties of this world in the same way. Because there are problems in our lives, some problems that we're not meant to solve, that we're not meant to fix. There are some questions that we're not meant to have answers to, there are some problems that are meant to be problems for you. Some struggles that are meant to be struggles. And so when it comes to happiness and disappointment, in both we are dependent on God. Living for him in the ups and in the downs is the only way to live because this life is like a holiday. It's going to be over someday. The preacher set out to teach us that lesson. You will die one day. And so live in the knowledge of that fact. Facing up to death teaches us that we are dependent creatures who are made for a relationship with our creator. A relationship that is only possible through Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us.